0: The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz. Sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C. A program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host... Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C. and friends of the program all across the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to the Liberty Action Alert, where every week we try to cut through the noise, take on the issues, especially the public issues that matter to you, people of faith. You know, we try to rely on the wisdom of the word for the sake of the culture and the mission of the church, or as we like to say here at the LCRL, we're trying to put our Temporal Liberties to Work for the Sake of the Eternal Liberties of God for All. Today's topic is government agencies, the administrative state, that which is operating outside of our representative government, where we don't often have a say in even what is going on. And so that administrative state, it is a real threat to religious liberty. You know, whether through things like the accreditation agencies or whether through certifications or licensures, we're beginning to see how there are people who see the church as a nefarious actor. And so they use these kinds of ways of knuckling them under to a new message, a very secular message, a very anti-Christian message. And instead of actually protecting—and and, and again, folks, before you go to the default position that, well, we shouldn't have any relationship with the state. Well, when the states start to encroach in virtually every aspect of our lives, when they're actually not limited to what they should be limited to, like the Founding Fathers understood constitutionally, then you have to address this, whether you like it or not, because that administrative state— can actually silence the public voice of the church and her ministries. Uh, there's many ways that it can do this. But again, eventually, in any partnership way, if they start to delve into the areas like education, uh, for the first hundred years, education was parochial in nature. Well, now suddenly it's all secular, and they have our money even before we send our kids to school, and now they're going to dictate what is going to be taught. Well, how did we? when did we agree to that? And so, again, that's what we're going to talk about today, the power of this administrative state, where they actually begin to encroach into the areas of the church, they utilize tax money, and if they actually start to partner in those areas with the church, then they use that to change the church's message. Remember, the First Amendment was to protect the church and and your individual rights from the state, not vice versa. And the other thing is, too, one of the areas that we're going to have to finally address is this notion of the benevolent state. Folks, that is heretical. it's, It's heretical, and it's also bad policy. It's the wrong view of what the state should do. The state should not be in the benevolence business. And if it is, it should be very, very, very limited, and it's not. It's in virtually every aspect. And people have this notion that it does better, that it's a it's a better way to serve and to care for people. It's not. The family is the way to care for Uh, Those in need, you know, within your family structure, then the church, then free people and free organizations. Benevolence is something that should be freely given. And the issues that we're talking about, issues of the heart, issues of the soul, the state should have nothing to do with those things. Because you cannot use the coercive power of the state and of the sword and of taxation to actually do a better job of helping People, It just doesn't work. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How can the church and the state, when they have to be in relationship with each other, how can we do a better job of doing that so that the church can do her job of caring for those in need? And how can we actually keep the state in its place uh, when it gets out of line by encroaching in areas where it does not belong? We are privileged to have with us Justin Butterfield, who is Deputy General Counsel at First Liberty Institute. And First Liberty has been a vanguard for religious liberty protections for our churches, our schools, our universities. And I I also see that you were previously Senior Advisor for Conscience and Religious Freedom at uh, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. That's one, I just said, there's one of the most egregious (laughs) agencies that we deal with with religious liberty. But welcome, Justin, to the program.
1: Well, thank you for having
0: me. Listen, I saw what you guys put out the other day and and it was uh, warning us or at least advising us as to what's happening with these new partnership rules that are happening with the Biden administration again. And it just seems like it's it's apropos. They 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 constantly use these agencies to change the language and then suddenly to litigate what I would consider to be honest law abiding, you know, citizens who happen to have a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview on these things. So bring, tell us what's going on with these partnership rules uh, that could affect our churches, our schools, our preschools, preschools, et cetera.
1: Sure. So federal agencies, one of the major things that they they do is they direct funds to um, private organizations around the country that, that further some goal that that agency has. So, for instance, Department of Education will will direct federal funding to, to organizations, schools that further education. Um, you know, Department of Housing and Urban Development will direct federal funding to, to sh- uh, housing shelters, um, groups that provide low-income housing, things like that. Health and Human Services directs funding to organizations that, that provide health services, hospitals, doctors, things like that. Um, And all of this, all of these are programs where the government partners with private organizations to provide these services, uh, often social social services, um, often targeting communities that are, are underserved, unserved, and the federal government just doesn't have anybody in those communities, in those areas that can serve, and so they partner with private organizations. Right. Now- there's a series of regulations, the, the equal treatment regulations, that, that explain how the government can partner with faith-based organizations as well. Because many of these communities, especially the least served communities, often are only reached by the faith communities in this country. Um, You know, you, you're talking about a, a rural, low-income area of the country. Well, the for-profit hospitals have pulled out. The only organization that is actually still there serving those communities are the religious organizations because mm-hmm. they're doing it not for profit motive, but because they're compelled to help those people because of their religious beliefs. Right. So to protect that, um, these regulations exist that say, you know, the government can partner with these religious organizations to provide these services to these communities. Um, but those religious org- organizations, those religious services and providers don't have to sacrifice their religious beliefs to partner with the government In these communities, because, you know, a lot of times um, when you're driven to serve a community by your religious beliefs, what you don't want to be told is you can either serve that community um, or you can have your religious beliefs, but you can't have both. Right. And so these these regulations say things like, you know, if you partner with the government in serving these communities, you can still hire according to your religious convictions. You can still be. Um, of your faith you can have religious names religious symbols um you can still be who you are um, and still partner with the government now that's been true for for years through several administrations what what this new proposed regulation does or actually nine it's nine regulations bundled up into one for for nine different agencies what these do is they roll back a lot of those protections right so traditionally for example um the A religious organization, a faith-based organization could say, here's what our hiring standards are. You know, we're not going to hire people who who don't hold to our religious convictions on certain issues. Right. Um, and this this proposed rule would repeal that and say you can you can hire according to your religion only as far as it affects um, the actual denomination of the person that you're you're hiring. So, for instance, um, a Catholic Uh, services organization in rural Mississippi could still say under these regulations, we're only going to hire Catholics. But what they couldn't say is we're not going to hire people whose lifestyles conflict with our religious convictions. Um, And that's just one of the examples of how they're pulling back um, protections for religious organizations. Another thing they're doing is they're saying that, that they're going to look at is the religious provider the only provider in an area and you might think if the religious provider is the only provider in the area, they'd be especially want to partner with that organization. And they're saying, no, if a religious provider is the only one in that area, we're not going to partner with them. There has to wow. be, you know, secular alternatives to them for us to be willing to partner with these religious organizations. What does that do? That means that organizations who are, like I described, you know, the only ones remaining in an area who are, are serving the least served communities in America um, are, are being discriminated against because they're religious.
0: You know, I, it, what amazes me, though, and a lot of church people push back and they'll say to me, well, we shouldn't be involved in this stuff. We should not be receiving state funds, et cetera, et cetera. But they don't even ask the fundamental question. What is the state doing involved in this stuff? I mean, when we had parochial education for the first hundred years of the uh, of the United States of America, and now suddenly this secular, uh, you know, the secularization of public education, there's a whole history to that, and suddenly they can take all of our money and keep it just for themselves and they can make sure that parochial education dies on the vine. And and I just look at that and say you know we've been browbeaten into this this notion that if the state feels like it should be involved it it should be involved and once they put their our money to those uses we have no say in it and you're saying well we already have uh, legislation that's protecting us I guess I get a little bit nervous about that because it seems like we're litigating uh, when the state keeps encroaching and encroaching and encroaching. Um, But here's my second thing is, and not only that, but they, they seem like they can just change the definitions on us without any recourse you know we suddenly heard that sex protections protect, had now had was changed to sexual orientation and now these agencies were litigating against anybody who had the traditional understanding of sexual protection uh, under the law and so is that something these agencies can just do and and should how should why should we be concerned about that
1: you know, uh, unfortunately, in a lot of situations, it is. And you, you described it as legislation. I think so many people think of this as legislation. Well, this mm-hmm. is something that our elected representatives should be deciding. Um, and it's not legislation, actually. These regulations are decided by bureaucrats, unelected, um, who have, have been appointed by possibly an administration um, years prior um, in D.C., and and they are issuing these regulations Often outside of any sort of, of you know public oversight, you right. know so so many so many Americans pay attention at least some attention to what Congress is doing, but how many Americans look at the Federal Register and see what these administrative agencies are doing? Right. Um, now, is there is there recourse? Yes, and uh, what we did, what what First Liberty Institute did is we submitted what's called a public comment. Um, on the Biden administration's attempt to, to weaken these religious liberty protections for faith-based organizations. And uh, under the law, um, agencies that get these public comments have to look at the substance of them and have to respond to them. Okay. So so there there is legal um, instructions for how these agencies are supposed to listen to the American people. It's just that so many of the American people don't know that this is even an avenue that affects their lives daily. Um, so, so you know, partnering Welcome. with a group like First Liberty Institute, where we can keep an eye on these things and and let you know that these regulations are coming and submit our own comments to these, uh, is important. But yeah, it, it's it's a really important thing for the American people to understand just how much influence the administrative state has in their day to day lives.
0: No, I know that, and that's one of the reasons why they sent the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty back up in, in Washington, D.C., because we've got 2,200 schools, we've got high schools, universities, we have preschools and all this stuff, and suddenly we're dealing with these state agencies or these federal agencies that change this, these definitions overnight, and then, then they send the lawyers, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they, they send the folks, or not the lawyers, but the, the administrators of those bureaucracies to our doors, and suddenly now the process becomes the punishment. Now we have to defend ourselves. Now, a couple of the issues that always seem to come up is if our if, if we're a biblical worldview uh, group and we we believe abortion is not a right, we believe that it's actually, you know, children are dying. These are children, not fetuses. Well, fetus just means child in Latin. But when, when we think that or we think marriage is between a man and a woman or we think that sexual practice is something that should be uh, within the committed married relationship – it just seems like those are the things that now disqualify us, uh, you know, more than anything else. And uh, is that are, are is this the weaponization of, of these kinds of what I would consider to be dialogues that we should be able to have with one another? Are we weaponizing these things politically? And and tell us what some of the the ramifications of that can be.
1: A- absolutely. So so uh, you know a a for instance a faith based uh, women's shelter. Mm-hmm. That wants to provide um, um, housing, temporary housing for battered women, for instance, and is suddenly being told that that they have to allow a, a non-biological woman to, to stay there. Right. And that violates their religious convictions. And they're being told, no, you're not allowed to do that, especially if you're the only battered women shelter in this area. Wow. Uh, now, many faith based organizations are not willing to do that and they should be able to follow their religious convictions on these issues. Right. Um, but those are those are the protections that are that are being stripped away. And, yeah, you know, he- one of the things that this this new um, um, regulation would would do is it would even it would even apply some of these restrictions to indirect federal aid. So we have the uh, this Concept of direct federal aid, which is the federal government is giving you money Mm -hmm. and indirect federal aid where the federal government gives, you know, a person um, funds because they are homeless, because they are needy. And that person goes and spends the money wherever they want. And they're trying to restrict money that comes indirectly through the homeless person, through the needy person going to the religious organization. Oftentimes, the, the faith based organization may not even know that money comes from the federal government. Ultimately. And but but this rule is looking at whether whether that's something the government can regulate.
0: Well, and you know, one of the things that I say, uh, because we have, like I said, a a substantial parochial education system in the Lutheran church. And I talk about parental choice because I can say if it gives to the, the parents and by the way, that's our money. We give that money. They give it back. Uh, and then the parents take it where they want. You're saying they're, they're again they're getting crafty on this. They're saying we'll we'll get you and we'll regulate you even that way. And yeah, folks, I can't understand certainly. Yep. Yeah, I can't understand why you think this is a good thing. I have a lot of folks, even Christian folks, say, oh, well, what's, what's wrong with this pastor? And I go, what's wrong with it? They're telling us how to think, how to educate, how to serve. And this is not even their arena. This is our arena. Benevolence is the arena of the church and of free people, not of coercive government. Okay, so you talked about comment section. Is, you know, Is that something where people can comment on that, or is it more organizations like mine? How can we be a part of your voice?
1: Anybody can comment. So so the federal government on regulations.gov every day publishes all of the regulations they're considering, and they have to put it up for comment. That is, they have to create kind of a draft of what they're thinking and post it on this website. And anybody who wants to can comment on it. Now, the problem is, of course, that there are thousands of pages per week of regulations on every topic from, you know, 500 pages on whether social security Reimbursement rates for hip replacement surgeries should be adjusted um, to things like this that are changing fundamentally how the government interacts with religious organizations. Mm -hmm. So some of these obviously are very important and people are going to care a lot about. Some of these are very tedious and technical and nobody's going to care about. But if you're just going to the website, you got to wade through a whole bunch of stuff you're not going to be interested in. Wow. So if you if you join First Liberty's mailing list, at, which you can sign up for firstliberty.org, um, and there are other organizations as well that, that that are aware of what's going on, kind of pay attention to what the federal government is doing, mm-hmm. um, and and we can provide information like here's a rule that's coming out. You may want to you may want to comment on. You may may want to share what you think with the agency. Um, So that so that your voice can be heard in these issues
0: now, just kind of as a a kind of final discussion, you know, you you all at First Liberty are are in this stuff every day. And I think sometimes what's hard for us as as uh, church people, as people going about our daily lives, you know. I, I say the, these threats are real. There, There, there is kind of, I, I've even talked about a, how there's a worldview that sees the church as a nefarious actor in the public square and wants to push it out in in a variety of ways. Well, this is one of those silent but deadly ways. By the time you realize that the, uh, the government has created the agency, the agency's at your door saying, you know, you're done. Uh, mm-hmm. From your point of view, I mean, you deal with this all the time. Is this stuff getting worse? Is this, is this? I was even thinking of the case where we won the um, Lutheran church won the right to not be discriminated against uh, up in, in, in Missouri when it talked about, you can't kick us out of this process just because we're Christian. Does that stuff not apply? Are are we, are our protections being eroded and how serious is this stuff that you deal with every day?
1: You know, it's kind of a tug of war. Um, it goes back and forth from administration to administration. Um, as you mentioned you know, there, there are cases on this where the courts will say, no, that, that violates the, the Constitution to discriminate against religious organizations in this way. Um, but one of the problems with cases are that they are often fact specific. And so even if they set a principle, if an administrative agency um, wants to do something, they will often do it and say, well, maybe th- this court would prohibit it, but we don't know explicitly in this situation if they would. So you can feel free to sue us and find out if this would be illegal or not. And, you know, for many religious organizations, that's that's a prohibitively high bar. Like, sure, you have rights, go ahead and hire an army of attorneys to to fight the federal government, and maybe they'll win and then we'll we'll let you do it have your have your religious liberty. We'll let you have your rights, but but that's that's prohibitive for a lot of organizations.
0: You know, our church has been involved in some of these cases, and one that I just talked to a, a person uh, a couple days ago. KFuo, we own our own radio station. We've owned it since the '30s, et cetera, et cetera, and they tried to actually literally take it away from us uh, on some bogus charges, and and we fought that. But I was talking to the person who was involved in that. It said He said it took us nine years mm-hmm. to actually fight that back. And finally, at the very end, it was $2 million worth of fees, a million of which came right out of the budget mm-hmm. just to protect our right to exist. And we did nothing wrong. We were exonerated on every level. And I, I thought folks, this is one of the things where thank God for first Liberty, but why do we keep voting these administrative people in, who want to take over our whole lives? They want to silence our voices, silence our churches, and we allow them to regulate us at every level. This is not a good thing. Um, so again, I, maybe you could comment on this too, that, that oftentimes the process is the punishment, right? It's
1: true. It's true. And you know, um, that's why, um, uh, at first Liberty, uh, We think it's important that when there are regulations like this and why we advocate for putting in regulations like this explicit religious protections for religious organizations so that it's clear what their rights are and they don't have to litigate um, from this area of I'm not sure if this is protected or not. Um, Or, you know, they have they can just do what they follow their religious convictions and then they'll find out if it was protected or not when the police show up at their door. (laughs) Um, that that's not the way America should run. We should we should we should have people's rights clearly spelled out. Um, we should not be in fear of is what I'm doing legal or not based on whether the police show up or not. And often the police are confused as well about what is exactly. legal and what's not.
0: Well, so I we a- need,
1: we need clear rights.
0: Right. Well, and first amendment stuff was, we thought it was clear. You know, I, I laughed about this in the pandemic. It wasn't funny though, but a downtown Chicago church, very, very poor church was having services and they locked the doors and the police showed up and were putting $500 tickets on every one of their cars and they wouldn't let them in. And they said, well, the police finally said, why didn't you let us in? They said, well, usually the gangs come in here. So we had to protect ourselves. You got to never come when we need you then. <laughs> but they <laughs> came to actually give them tickets about mm-hmm. the pandemic. And we now know how, know, how ridiculous a lot of that was was. So, all right. Well, thank you again. Any, any last thoughts about how we can uh, magnify your voice? Sure. So
1: you can go to firstliberty.org. You can sign up for our, our uh, email list, find out what we're doing and follow along there. Um, and when you see something like this, uh, we'll, we'll help you with with knowing how to go and file your own comment so
0: that that your voice can be heard on these issues too. Well, that's what we do. That's why the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty uh, is back in D.C. We've been here since the 40s, um, but we've actually gotten much more active on it because... We're worried about the fact that these government folks actually think their work actually supplants the work of the church. And we know that when faith-based organizations are in the city, uh, in the neighborhood, they're going to serve long after these secular organizations give way. And so uh, it's just arrogant to say that we're going to find a way to to make it so punitive that you won't do this kind of service. We're not going to let them do that. Well, thank you so much for your work, and we will continue our, our prayers for you. And we will be commenting, Justin, on all of this stuff and give my best to all those over at uh, First Liberty Institute. I will. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRLDC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Contained there are resources to empower your public square dynamic discipleship. Or check out our weekly Word from the Center opinion piece every Friday at facebook.com. Forward slash LCRL freedom. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Seltz. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty.